0: The Addiction Podcast, point of no return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast.
1: Hello everybody, this is Joni Siegel, and this is The Addiction Podcast, and with me today is my fabulous co-host...
2: Jason Good.
1: I know, I usually say it, I let you say it I let,
2: I'm glad you let me say it. I let
1: you say it. <laughs> and this is episode 94, I, we'll probably say that at the end as well, but this is episode 94, and... I said something last week, Jason, you weren't with me last week. And so we replayed, um, I actually, we did, reread it Angela's Mm -hmm. episode last week because I, I have gone back to Angela's episode so many times because she is the prime example of the housewife who gets addicted to pills and alcohol, you know, and I, I know that there's Oh, I hate to say it this way, but I know that there's a niche there. So anyway, we replayed Angela's last week because I, I, I really like her story quite a bit. And so you weren't with me. And so this was what I said last week because I thought this was kind of interesting. 65% of users of heroin started with a prescription opioid addiction before transitioning to heroin. Yeah. Just interesting statistic.
2: What's the percentage?
1: 65. That's it? Oh, you think it it's To it me, that's low. Oh.
2: <laughs> because you have to... <laughs> I thought to, it was
1: big. I thought it was horrific. Honestly,
2: the reason I say that's because most people's entry point to heroin has to be something less strong than heroin because otherwise jumping to heroin will kill you more than likely. So it's like a lot, mostly everyone that I know, including myself, start on prescription opioids because it's like you start on Vicodin, go to Percocet, and to Oxy, and to Oxy, and you just kind of keep going, then eventually you end up on heroin, and it makes some sort of like progressive sense. Fine. But I, I, I was just startled by that statistic. I thought that was kind of low, honestly.
1: Fine, I thought it was high. There I thought you 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 think the wind. I'm I'm sorry. I am sorry, the wind out here. Yeah, sense. it's but okay. okay. I'll, I'll
2: say it like this: any statistic like that in our society in general is terrible. Exactly, the fact that we have a statistic that says this percentage of people start like this to get onto heroin, it's like, oh my god, where have we gone to? Yeah, you know. So, in that regard, totally agree. It's it's, it's a crap, it's a crappy statistic.
1: Okay, fine. <laughs> well, we have somebody to interview today. And he reached out to us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. He actually saw an ad on Facebook and he um, he saw an ad about the podcast on Facebook and he reached out and he wanted to be interviewed because he is a former addict. He was, in fact, uh, injecting cocaine at age 17 and he had a couple of DUIs and some suicide attempts and some jail time and managed to come out of all of that sober. Although when he was initially sober in terms of the heavy, the hardcore drugs, he was doing alcohol, but now he is completely sober. He's been completely sober for three years and he has written a book, called Zero to Hero, and it is the chronicle of his addiction and his coming out the other side, and um, he is also mentoring Mm -hmm. young people. And so let's talk to Nate. Jump in. So Nate, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, Really appreciate you joining us and telling your story.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So that's pretty much what we like to start with is your story. How did you get started on drugs and what your whole journey was?
0: Yeah. So I'll tell a little bit about where I'm from. I'm from Colorado. Um, Do I need to tell you I'm from Colorado or is that going to be something you include? No, it's fine. Okay. So I'm from Colorado from a small town called Woodland Park, about 30 minutes away from Colorado Springs. Um, one of the common themes in my small town that I keep hearing even today and ha- i heard when I was in high school, is there's not a lot to do in this small town. So typically we took to partying and using drugs. Um, so I started smoking weed when I was in eighth grade. Um, I tried it once and I just, I fell in love with it. I loved changing my reality and love escape. I felt like I was escaping from all the pressures that I had grown up with. Um, I grew up in a very religious household. I was taken to church every Sunday by my parents. Um, and the, it, it felt oppressive to a certain point. I know my parents were just looking out for me, but there was just a really strong presence of religion there. And I lived outside of that uh, ideology um, for a lot of different reasons. That was just a part of who I was. I'm a real free spirit. I like to try things, take risks, take risks. Um, and there was also an incident in my childhood when I was six or seven years old uh, with my babysitter where she had tried to molest me. And uh, I guess you could just say she partially molested me, but her parents came home before it got too far. Um, but I just remember being really young when that happened. Um, and so that may have been the reason I had some, some emotional problems growing up and some anger and confusion and things like that. But to answer your question, I got started uh, in eighth grade smoking weed. Um, It was kind of a recreational thing. Once I hit my freshman year in high school, it became a daily thing. Um, Smoking weed every day, going to football practice, stoned, ditching school, things like that. Um, I graduated into mushrooms my sophomore year. um, And I'd gotten in trouble my freshman year for smoking weed. So I kind of laid off for a little bit. And so I turned to drinking a little bit more. And like I said before, there's a lot of partying in my hometown. We'd we'd go out to the woods. There's a lot of camping areas. So we'd go have keggers and um, drinking and driving was very prevalent. And that was what we did on the weekends and after school a lot of times. So uh, drinking turned into uh, a tragedy in my hometown. And there's this, this girl named Sarah Jane. I'd known her since about third grade. She was car surfing, and her boyfriend, Lee, was driving. And uh, what car surfing is, is, um, I mean, you can imagine, but basically No, I was going to ask you, what is car, car surfing?
1: I was going to ask you that. What is car surfing?
0: Yeah. So it's kind of what it sounds like. Like someone gets on top of the car and basically, not necessarily standing up, but all you have to do is even sit down on top of the car, and you basically hold on for dear life while the car is moving. And they were doing this out in the woods and they were drinking. Um, So it's obviously a recipe for disaster, but uh, being young, you know, not thinking of consequences, uh, they decided to do it anyway. Sarah ended up falling off and hitting her head and died a couple days later in the hospital. And uh, there was a lot of people that knew her, you know, a real small town. Um, It it affected our community uh, on a, on a big level. There's kind of a hole left in our class. I felt like, Um, and there's a lot of people at her funeral, Um, and I remember it being an open casket, which was just really, really weird. Um, You know, I had been to my grandpa's funeral, and that was a little different than seeing a young person, you know, lifeless in a casket, so I remember that affected me, and the the partying increased from there, Um, and you, you know, hoped that it would decrease, but that's not what happened, because we were young, and A lot of us had other emotional issues that were undealt. So we, we, you know, kept doing our partying in the woods. And eventually harder drugs came along. Um, I started getting into cocaine that summer. So that was going into my junior year. You you started getting into what? I'm
1: sorry. I had a little distortion on the sound. Cocaine?
0: That's okay. So cocaine going Uh, into my junior year that summer. Yep. um, I tried it for the first time. Um, I liked it. I was back to smoking weed every day, drinking, um, and that was that was pretty common. That was just what we did in Woodland Park. So cocaine eventually turned into crystal meth, and crystal meth was really what took me for a loop. So I tried meth the first time, and I, I mean, I, I loved it from the first time. It totally totally took me kind of like what we did. It took a lot of the pressures I felt like I had in my life and totally relieved of And so I I took to it within about nine months, I was injecting uh, at 17 years old and I was headed for rehab because my parents had, you know, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I would stay up for days, I would crash and they wouldn't be able to wake me up for school. Um, So there were some concerns there and eventually they, they went through my stuff and found a glass pipe. or a light bulb and a straw and they looked it up on the internet, found out I was using meth and took me to drug therapy where I think, I don't think I passed any UAs, but I think a couple of them didn't have meth and just had weed on them. Um, But for the most part, there was, there was no progress made. So they sent me to inpatient when I was 17 um, and I started injecting as soon as I found out I was headed for inpatient. So, um, went to inpatient. It was a really great experience. Learned a lot about myself, learned about addiction, um, learned about thinking errors and learned about some of the things I was doing wrong. It was really great, really educational six week program. Um, but I just, I just wasn't ready yet. So I got out and I smoked weed the first night out and within two weeks I was injecting again and I was back in the game. Um, and it, it, you know, it just goes deeper and deeper and, you know, addiction being the progressive disease that it is, um, the consequences got worse and, you know, I was hanging out with, uh, you know, harder drug dealers, harder gangsters. Um, and I was just this small town kid that just wanted to get high. And then I find myself in a room with a bunch of crazy tweakers with guns and people trying to get tear gra- tear gas grenades so they can go rob somebody. Wow. And it just, yeah, it just escalated so quickly. And at, at one point, this was actually before I went to rehab. I remember it was just my drug dealer and guy. And uh, he had to go out and get something to eat because he hadn't had anything to eat in days. And he was concerned because he had a friend over who was being sought after by a Mexican gang, uh, the Serenios, which are real big in our area. And he said, Well, I'm going to leave you with this pistol and a full pipe of meth, and if you see any Mexicans come through the door, you just start shooting wow. I' was oh like whoa dude i'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to get high here, you know, and so I just remember sitting there all alone you know, with a meth pipe in my hand, the pistol, and the other one is sixteen years old. That's and, a recipe uh,
2: for disaster, yeah, thank
0: you <laughs> yeah, and you know no, luckily nothing happened that day
2: oh, but, that's um, good.
0: that just shows how how progressive it gets and how crazy it gets, even if you're just wanting to score a bag or, you know, just, just party a little bit. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it got worse and, um, my best friend ended up hanging himself in 2006. Uh, I believe it was like the first day of summer and me and him were very toxic for each other. We both wanted each other to, succeed so bad and get clean but we were both addicts and we just we weren't neither of us were ready and eventually it uh, led to his demise and fueled his depression so that was really hard so my friend hangs himself one day and 10 days later I have another friend who I knew since fourth grade who died in a drinking and driving accident wow and so I'm addicted this whole time I have no coping skills and I I fall off harder than I've ever fell off. And, you know, I was using drugs before but I was kind of staying functional and then that happened and I, I lost it. I mean, I quit sleeping, I quit eating. Um, I even quit selling drugs cause I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with my habit. And so I had to take to going out and robbing and stealing. Um, and it just, I, I stayed up for two weeks was the longest I went without sleep. Wow! And I remember being in such a deep psychosis And that was when I, when I had the psychosis, I totally gave birth to another problem that I didn't need. And so, you know, I had addiction and now I had this mental health issue and I don't know if you guys have had other guests with meth meth psychosis, but it does not let up easy even after you quit the drugs.
1: I don't know if we've and had anybody with still. it, but but I, I think you're probably familiar with it, Jason, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, because so you it's get a, guys narking on that.
2: It's extremely common with meth because you you stay up for mm-hmm. so long with no food, no sleep, and just like boatloads yeah. of like really strong stimulants, and you come into the psychosis. The thing mm-hmm. is, even when you come down, it doesn't necessarily stop. Uh, so it, it takes exactly. extra handling okay. to get a person kind of grounded yeah. back in reality.
1: Okay. Wow.
0: Yeah. And that's the hardest part is because I'd stay clean for – at that point, when it was still the summer of 2006, I'd stay clean for a couple of weeks, and it would start to taper off. But it was just – it was so relentless, it felt like. It felt like I was under under the devil's thumb or something. Um, so I ended up going to Kansas to a different rehab. Um, I didn't make it very long because basically I, I wasn't – I still needed more sleep, and I needed – Probably a different treatment center. It wasn't the right one for me. So I ended up cussing out the staff and leaving, which uh, is pretty out of character (laughs) for me. I'm a pretty calm guy, but coming down off drugs is certainly uh, brought out the worst.
1: I'm sorry. What was the methodology of the rehab? Was it a 12-step program? What kind of program was it? Just It wasn't.
0: It was a uh, real religious one. Oh, okay. My parents liked it. And, you know, with how I grew up, it just... Yeah. It was the wrong time for I, it.
1: I got it. Okay. And so it
0: didn't work. Uh, so back home I went and my cycle was basically go out on the streets, get my ass kicked by psychosis after three or four days. Um, it would just become so unmanageable that I have to call my mom, call a family member, call a friend, get taken back home, come down for a couple days. Um, and I write about this in my book, what the step that uh, my process was. Um, so after a couple of days of being sober, you know, my problems that were undealt would surface. I wouldn't know how to deal with them. Um, And also, like I said before, the psychosis wasn't going away. So I'd kind of feel helpless and I'd go hit the streets again. And I did that for months and months. And just the psychosis would get worse every single time. And um, I, let's see, I had another buddy who I want to say two months after my best friend hung himself, this kid I'd known since kindergarten, um, shot himself in the head. Yeah. And it's a real ironic story because I had a gun in my mouth the same night that he shot himself. Wow. And yeah, it was just so crazy um, waking up the next day and hearing that from friends.
1: Um, I can imagine. I
0: just, you know, yeah. And so uh, the months go by and my psychosis... Well, in between that time I had a couple more suicide attempts. I actually took a razor blade to my throat. Um and I have a scar there. Um, you know, stuck a gun in my mouth. I tried overdosing. Um so it was a hard couple months.
1: So so After, wait a second. Wait a second, I'm gonna stop you for a second. So you had a ra- you took a razor yeah. blade to your throat. Did um, my throat, yeah. And did I'm assuming you ended up in the hospital.
0: I didn't. Um nope, I was at home. And I, I missed I totally missed my jugular vein and my carotid artery. Lucky for you. So Yeah, very lucky. I guess it was kind of a blessing that I was in such a deep psychosis, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I got the scar there. But uh no, I just put some gauze over it and I, I fell asleep on a on a really bad come down.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Sorry to sorry to stop you. I just oh. you yeah. Oh no, that's
0: okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty extreme. It's a different way to kill yourself, which isn't very common, but uh Yeah, so after a while, I start to get in legal trouble. Um, I get a couple felonies, and I get a DUI, and the legal trouble, it it put a, uh, what do I want to say, it shook my foundation a little bit. So I started having more months of being clean, or longer periods of being clean. Um, At one point, I think I had six months clean, and my psychosis started to taper off a little bit. I was able to hold a job a little better. I was painting houses. Um, but the, the downside to that is that in the winter, the business goes away.
1: Oh, because you can't right. paint
0: houses in the winter. Yeah. So idle time was horrible for me and I'd always get into trouble in the winter, it seemed like. And I started to do heroin because it didn't, it didn't activate my psychosis as much. Um, and so yeah, I would still do a little bit of meth. I'd do speed balls every once in a while, but I mm-hmm. was more on heroin and, um, I got my second DUI while I was on felony probation and I was pulled over. Um, I ended up, I hadn't had heroin in a couple of days and I remember I was taking pills to try to ease the withdrawals and I was drinking too. Um, so I got pulled over and I urinated in the back of a cop car and went into jail and tried to hang myself that night Wow. in the county jail because I, f- I figured I was headed for prison um but you know being as messed up as i was i didn't hang myself properly either i would i guess there's two ways you can hang yourself and that's uh if you go too low it'll choke you and cause a lot of pain so you can correct yourself Um, so luckily that that was what i did it was very painful for me and i was able to correct myself i gave up and got out of jail Um, i partied a little bit more and i remember going to court on my 21st birthday which was a Monday. And the judge said, okay, Nate, you have to turn yourself in on Friday and you are not to drink until then. And of course that was my 21st birthday and he told me I was going to jail. So I I let loose and I, I drank like crazy and I did, you know, tons of heroin the past, the last two to three days. And I did my very last last shot of heroin about 20 minutes before I turned myself into jail. Wow. And, I went into jail and I can't say I really had an aha moment or, you know, I don't, I don't feel like God visited me in jail. I got out and I just started doing what I was supposed to do for the first time in my life. And, you know, I know I was scared to go to prison. I didn't want to go back to jail. Um, so I got a job. I was pleasing my PO and just started to live a better life. Um, the downside is I was still drinking and I still drank for about six years after that. So I guess you could say I kind of chose the harm reduction route. All right. Um, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't shooting meth and heroin, but I, I drank and drank more progressively. And about six years later, um, you know, I'm still on a better path. I, I started going to the gym, which was a huge passion of mine. it's still what I use today for, for therapy. And it's a part of what I do in working with kids, which I'll get into later. But, uh, I got pulled over when I was drinking and almost got my third DUI and it got dropped because the cop was out of his jurisdiction and I remember leaving court I was like you know what I can go out and celebrate or I can finally start to live life which I'd never really tried before I did just totally dedicating myself to to sobriety and to you know bettering myself finding a a career a purpose and so that's what I did. And that was about three years ago. And I think we're going on four years, actually. But uh, since then, I've, I've just published a book. Um, I own my own fitness business. Um, and I do a mentorship program in my hometown, working with kiddos who uh, get popped with MIPs, which is minor in possession, uh, mostly of marijuana and drinking, stuff like that. And I teach them to work out. I teach them to set goals and start thinking about the future. And I'm just kind of on, uh, on this mission to, to help people and tell my story.
1: Just a reminder that you're listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you'd like further information on the podcast, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page, the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you'd like further information on Sun Suncoast, you can reach Jason at one eight seven seven three three nine three three two four. 339 3324 That's one eight seven seven three three nine three three two four. 339 3324
2: that's an incredible story. It is.
1: Uh, I, 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 it's a bad joke, but I was going to say it's a good thing you are as incompetent at suicide as you are because you're walking around today. I, know. <laughs> I mean,
0: uh, I tell people all the time, I was such a failure back in the day. I literally failed at everything, including trying to kill myself. <laughs> oh <so>. My goodness, <laughs> it, it's
2: it's an unreal, it's unreal to think about, but it's it's such a common part of addiction is yep. that when you get to a point where you're at that completely hopeless, desperate, almost psychotic state, it only seems like the only way to make that go away and all the hurt to stop. And it's like, I understand that, but it's also, you're right, it's the comical side of like, yeah, I was such a failure, I couldn't even kill myself. But luckily, I mean, you didn't, (laughs) so you could inspire and help other people because I feel like all of us that survive addiction are here because there's a purpose. Exactly. There's a purpose that we have to help others get through what we went through because when you're going through addiction, it's like the loneliest thing you could possibly go through because it's the only time where you can be in a room of a hundred people and feel completely alone and completely cut off from everyone else around you. I
0: totally agree.
1: Right. And, and whether, and whether or not you look at it from a religious viewpoint, there obviously, there was obviously more for you to do like you're doing now. Yes. And so, and
0: that's what I'm seeing now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you didn't actually go through a rehab to get off hardcore drugs. You just did it and stayed on alcohol, right?
0: Yeah. Um, like I was saying, I kind of chose harm reduction.
1: Okay. Um,
0: not saying I had to do that or it was necessary. It's, it's just the route I took. Right. And, you know, going to rehab was certainly helpful because they taught me so much when I was seventeen. Um, Just about the psychology behind it and, you know, the roots behind addiction, Um, thinking errors like I was, you know, rationalizing and justifying things that that aren't right, Um, blaming, all all those things, all those thinking errors. So I learned all that and it really helped me when I was ready to get sober because I could kind of counter what I knew was coming uh, from my addictive voice in my head, I guess you could say.
2: Right.
1: Right. I notice in um, some of the information that I got that you have a son.
0: I do, and he's uh, he's on the front cover of my book, and we dressed him up like a superhero because the name of the book is called Zero to Hero. Okay. Um, So he's on the front cover of my book. He's eight years old, and he's the light of my world.
1: So he was he was around when you were an addict because you said you've been clean for three years. So he was... well, I've
0: been sober off of alcohol for three years, and okay. I've been clean off of meth and heroin for ten years. I see, almost ten see. years.
1: Okay, so yeah. when when he was around, yeah. you were just using alcohol.
0: Yes, exactly. Were yep. you
1: abusing alcohol yeah. or just occasionally using it?
0: Yeah. I, well, it was. It's a little bit of both. You know, I was definitely abusing it, and I have no doubt that I'm an alcoholic. Um, you know, almost three DUIs. That's definitely an alcohol problem. Right. But, uh, you know, I would drink at home on the weekends after a long week of work. Um, and I kind of justified that as, the, I mean, that's what everyone in America does. You know, that's what I told myself. Right. And it, it is pretty common. There's a lot of people that do that. Right. Um, but like I said, I still, it just always leads to more problems for me. And I'm just not who I should be on alcohol. Right. And so, you know, even if if I wanted to, I probably could still do the same thing. I could probably just drink Uh, on the weekends or on my days off and, you know, not drinking drive, I could probably be okay, but I know I'm not going to be, I know I'm not going to be helping people like I could. And I know I'm not going to be the best me I could be. And I'm not going to be the best father. Right. And so I finally just said, "What, what am I doing this for? You know? And I mean, lastly, the hangover sucks nowadays. Like it just, it takes me like three or four days to recover. And believe it or not, something just that was big enough to make me quit. I was just tired of the hangovers too, you know.
2: Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, hangovers are like the worst. I had a question for you. Being from uh, Col- being from Colorado, what's your take on the whole marijuana uh, issue? Oh, you know, it's
1: funny. We talked about this before before we were recording, but um, <laughs> of course can, I'm going to ask that. That's okay. But, but now you can tell him <laughs> yeah. what you told me, Nate.
0: Yeah, totally. So it's it's kind of a catch twenty um, two. I have mixed feelings on it. Um, kind of like with alcohol, like I know there's people that use alcohol responsibly and I know there's people out there that could probably smoke weed responsibly too. Um, but there's going to be the negative side effects too. And particularly with my program, um, the mentorship program that I have, it's very ironic because most of the kids I get, um, are in trouble for minor in possession of marijuana. I have a couple of alcohols and tobaccos in there, but mostly it's marijuana And I get paid through marijuana tax revenue to work with these kids until I'm trying to balance out like, okay, we're spending money on the kids, but we're also making money off the marijuana. So I don't know if we're breaking even or actually making money off of it. So it's, uh, like I said, 22 and Mm -hmm. what's that?
2: I'd say the state is definitely making money off of it, but at least are funneling the the revenue towards like helping just yeah. in some regard, right. I, I, I honestly think if they're going to make that much money, if say there is a ton of money being made, they should funnel it towards like, you know, rehab and you know, prevention, prevention yeah. of drug addiction and stuff like that.
1: Well, also the fact that they pay Nate Absolutely. then to mentor
2: kids.
0: But I think that's great. It's a, it's a good, but I think yeah, that's good. It's a
1: good, it's a good solution.
0: Right. Nate, I think so too. And like, I mean, obviously that's a huge opportunity for me. So I'm in favor of that. The catch is we're just I'm seeing a lot of younger kids use it and they're kind of they have that permission given to them inside their heads because they're seeing mom and dad do it. They're seeing society do it and the whole culture is kind of changing. Um, now, going back to, you know, comparing it to alcohol, I mean, if alcohol is legal, I could see why marijuana should be legal as far as the harm that it causes. Um, but it's important that kids know or they're educated on what it does to the, the growing brain, you know? I mean, there's still side effects and it's not, you know, there's not vitamin C in marijuana. So. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: No,
2: it was yeah. vitamin THC. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: Nate, you, um, yeah, so, you said you're four chapters into another book. What's that book going to be about?
0: So this book is called Prosperity for the Pitiful. And there's, in my book that I have published right now, chronologically, there's a little gap missing. Okay. And it's between when I took my last shot of heroin and two years later when I was having my kid. Uh
1: huh. And in
0: those two years, there was a lot of changes that happened in my life, psychologically um, and physically too. And I'm trying to basically put into a book, what steps I use to get clean. Cause I didn't use 12 steps. Um, I didn't go to rehab and I just, I took a really unorthodox approach and I think there's a lot of people that do that. Yep. And I think it's important that they know that those people know, um, they can still be successful doing that. And for those who are still struggling, you know, there's more options out there and there's more tools and more resources. So I'm just trying to offer another perspective basically. Um, So that's part of it. But then there's also another phase to it where, um, you know, I, I see a lot of addicts, a lot of felons in particular get out of incarceration and they live a life that's great because they're not using. You know, it's really cool to see that. But they're also just kind of settling for things that they don't need to settle for. And a lot of times that's because they have felonies or because they have a past and they tell themselves that they can't really see true success you know and live a large life yeah. and part of the book is about that too on how to take your life to the next level even if you are clean or even if you're you know like i was doing I'm, i wasn't using drugs but i was drinking so even if you're using another substance that's not your drug of choice how to get out of that and really take your life to something extraordinary to where you can publish a book or be a ceo of a company or even if on a smaller scale you just want to be a better father or have a family i mean what it takes to do that
2: right and for some people that is the epitome of success that's right to me it, i mean to me it is yeah. being normal and whatever normal is just like not using drugs and paying your bills and doing like adult things when i was a drug addict i was like oh my god i strive for that i was never gonna have that and yeah. so to me that's yeah. like as successful as i ever wanted was to just like Live life not dependent on something to get through the day to handle my issues. And whatever it takes to get you there, perfect. Just, I'd rather you didn't do it with drugs.
0: Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like when we're in drug addiction, we just, we want to strive just to pay bills and have an apartment and, you know, just to get there. But once we get there, is that going to be enough? Because I think some people, especially. I was talking with another guy about this. He said there's a reason that addicts haven't been weeded out of the gene pool yet, and that's because addicts do amazing things, and I think a lot of people are so dismissing true. their potential um, just because they want to they wanna live that average life. So. Yeah.
2: Addicts are some of the smartest people on the planet. I've always <laughs> totally. said that. And, I, and, I, totally. I, and I've always said that we're more people who become addicted – for some reason seem to be more sensitive to life in general and things that go on. So it's almost like I always totally. look at it. It's like, I'm sort of like a suit like kind of superpowers oh. <laughs> in a certain, in a certain way mm-hmm. because of that, yeah. of that sensitivity in that second, because addicts are extremely intelligent for the most part.
0: Well, totally. And a lot of times the more intelligent they are, the harder it is for them to get clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. so that's what I've seen a lot. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah
0: I, I totally agree.
1: Cool. Well, okay. So just for the listeners, um, the name of Nate's book is Zero to Hero, the Tale of My Recovery from Drug Addiction and Psychosis. It is available on Amazon. And it the author is the fellow we're talking to Nate Wilson. Nate, do you also have a website if people want to find out more about you?
0: I do. I have a website that links to my book, and in that website, it uh, gives a little a quick summary about what the book is about. Okay. Um, and that's zero to hero nw Okay. So that's zero
1: and, to hero nw dot com.
0: Cool. Mm hmm. And you know, I do a lot of stuff on Instagram too. That includes fitness and some stuff about my book. Um, and my Instagram is at nate dog zero two two three
1: okay perfect
0: and i'm also yeah on facebook i have a blog page called you know it's funny enough i kind of screw this up it's addiction recovery fitness love and success okay and if anyone wants to like that page i'm always posting about weekly or maybe every week and a half i'm posting an article um, sometimes it's about drug addiction. Sometimes it's about success and, uh, finding motivation and drive. Um, but it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So check it out.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Nate. I can't wait to post. Uh, you're welcome. I can't wait to post your episode because, you know, as I mentioned to you before we were recording, everybody's story is somewhat different. And so, Everybody's story can resonate with someone who's listening, and I, I think that's important. And then if someone listens to it and gets help, whether they do it the way you did it, whether they contact Narcanon where Jason works, whether they go to twelve step, the whole point is to realize that there are other people who are going through this, and you can come out the other side, mm-hmm. and to do something about it. So um, I just totally. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. And no, um, thanks
0: for having me. Yeah, okay. it was absolutely awesome. Thank you. Cool. Thanks.
1: Well, I thought that was really interesting.
2: It's like a har- its like a harrowing story of like all like the loss around Nate and what he experienced, like growing up and getting into addiction. It's like, it's incredible because I think it's like one of the most unspoken things about addiction is the amount of lost and self-loathing and wanting just to like take yourself out of the world because you literally see no hope it's one of the things that's really not talked about a lot but it sits there in the existence of thing and it's amazing that he came through it yep and now he's doing what he's doing and I, i mean i couldn't ask for like a better outcome from all that that he went through i mean with like he's got failed suicide attempts his friends have failed suicide attempts some friends actually killed themselves and it's just like Going through all that, it's just like I was starting to get like emotionally overwhelmed just listening to it because it's so it's so heavy. Yeah. Um.
1: Well, remember Derek? Remember we interviewed Derek, and Derek had that absolutely horrific suicide attempt, and you know, I, I just, I, it's. It's hard to imagine, at least for me, maybe not for you because you've you've been an addict. It's hard to imagine that depth of despair. But, you know, Derek described it and, you know, Nate described it. You know, you had this person dying, that person dying, this person dying and, you know, and the psychosis. It's just like it's it's horrific.
2: Yeah, I've never been suicidal. No matter what I've been through, no matter like what kind of like screwed up (laughs) situations or circumstances (laughs) I found myself in. I understand what you're saying. Like I've I I've, I can't have empathy, right, for suicidality because I've never I've never experienced it. I right. can be kind of sympathetic towards it and saying, I understand that's like a really terrible place to be, like a bad spot to be in. But I've never been able to quite understand from my own perspective, like for things to be so bad that the only solution in your head is to you know end your existence in this life, and, and so. Um, I am sympathetic towards it. I mean, I have tons of people I encounter every single day at Narconon who have been there, have done that, who have experienced what that is, uh, and it's it's a thing. And I think it's something that actually really needs to be addressed in the world of addiction. Yeah. Because when you take a person that's at that point, I mean, where do you go from there? That that's what? that that's is like rock bottoms. I could consider rock bottom being before you're actually dead. Yeah. And so. You know, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic story, and uh if he's probably one of those people that says the same thing I say. If I could get sober, literally anyone could get sober, right? I, I'm sure he probably has that same viewpoint. But it's like you get so bad, you think, man, if I got clean, anyone could get clean. Because I'm as bad as they 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 make drug addicts, right? <laughs> so like i I think it's I think it's great, and it's just like almost like what's going on in that little small town in Colorado? Yeah, because it was from this he was from this small town in Colorado. He said. Um, and kind of like a ruralish, woodsy. Nothing how, else to how do. How I pictured it in my head. But it's like all this chaos going on all these yeah. small towns. And if you think that one small town is the only small town with that going on. It's like, think again. Look at West Virginia. It's full of small yep. towns that are completely overwhelmed with meth and opioids. So That's it's right. just like, small town America is gone as far as we know That's it. Right. And this is what it looks like now. But luckily, there's examples like, like nay, that come out of it. Yep. That rise above it handle their issues move forward and thankfully help people exactly
1: and now he's reaching out to help people so mm-hmm. that's very cool so that's kind of the end of the podcast for today but you and that's I, the I will end be of the road. that's the end of the road that's the end of the road for today but we'll get together <laughs> next week you know this is episode number 94 and we are closing in on the end of our second year that's which crazy. is kind of cool that went, by, that went cool.
2: by extremely fast it
1: did it did go by fast it did so we'll talk again next week next week